2: We're going to get into it now with Dave Hardin, the founder and president of Summit Global Investments. We're going to look at his market outlook for 2022, inflation, Fed tapering. Dave, thank you for joining us. When we think about 2022, how are you positioning yourself?
1: Well, thank you for having me. Glad to be on again today. Um, I think you want to be positioned for choppy and more volatile markets ahead we got a lot with the fed everybody's talked about their combination going away and what's going to have we also have congress actively involved COVID 19 geopolitical events i think it's a lot more choppy in the next year yields higher i think it's positive but just not as big of a return over the whole year as one would expect there's going to be periods though where it's up a lot and down a lot i think we're going to have some choppy trading
0: so what do i do there do i stick with uh Maybe the big top-line growth stories, tech, for example, healthcare, or do I go a little bit more cyclical uh, and try to play what should be some type of reopening or, or continued reopening next year?
1: I think that's a really good question, Paul. I think one of the things this creates is a higher awareness for the desire for risk management. And the more you as an investor understand your risk management that's inside your portfolio, it's essential. The better you understand it, the better your portfolio will perform as you hope. So I think the biggest thing you need to do is understand the risks within your portfolio. Now, saying that, I do think you want to have a more value tilt and probably a bigger company tilt over, over, overall. But small companies will probably, in my estimation, outperform large companies as a whole. But I think the core of your portfolio needs to be in some of these companies you really, really trust. Um, so companies that I've been talking about more, more recently, and I know it's up a, over 100% year to date, is Ford. Um, Ford, I think, is a really, really good company. It's a great play. They have a ton of momentum in the number of buys that they have and sells, uh, you know, companies selling cars. Um, and, and a great opportunity with electric vehicles. They haven't even gotten started yet. It's just the F-150, their Mustang is really not even the Mustang. So they ha- I think they have a lot of opportunity to grow there. less eccentric than Elon, but really Mm -hmm. good management in Ford. So that's one of the core holdings I would look at. So
2: you mentioned the small cap idea. We're going to speak to Liz Young later. She loves them, too. How does inflation, though, throw a wrench in the ability for smaller companies to navigate a choppy environment next year?
1: It's going to be difficult. And so you want to look, I think if you're going into small cap, you want to look for companies that have the opportunity either to combat inflation with their growth, so that's really, really important. Or they have some type of unique technology that I think or a position in, in their um, peer group that really makes a difference. So the other thing that I think that's really important is I don't think you want to have all the risk on the table. And in other words, if you looked at the beta of your small cap portfolio to the Russell 2 or the S&P 6, your beta, I think, needs to be a little bit smaller. Our small cap beta is about 0.8 right now. It's about 15% year-to-date versus the Russell, 2 at about 10 So I think you can do a lot better with um, less volatile companies but stay in that small-cap space.
0: David, how are you thinking about valuation here? There's a lot of folks that are concerned about valuation. But on the other hand, people say, gee, but that given where interest rates are, don't worry. Uh, earnings have been very good over the past several quarters but likely to slow. How do you think about valuation in this market now? Well, there's no doubt it's high, right? You look at any type of chart you want to look at across the
1: market, valuation is extremely high. It's a very narrow market. And so that is concerning. The problem is, is I think, well, not the problem, but the opportunity is, is that valuations never really created a burst of the bubble. So I don't think you worry about valuation. You more worry about what are the downside risks with my individual names in my portfolio and what causes the bubble to burst. So I would set valuation aside a little bit and look at the Fed, look at the COVID, which I, I think, uh, you know, we've talked about a million times over, and look at what events are going on with Congress and how that's going to affect the downside risk of my name.
2: Is there a paradigm shift, a move away from chasing yield into protecting your capital?
1: I think there, there, there has to be for at least a portion of everyone's portfolio. So yields are higher. Um, you can't just ch- ch- chasing yields, not going to give you the protection I think that you need. And so, you need to look at how does your portfolio fit together and what is the potential risk to your portfolio of losing money. And if you do it that way and you start talking about risk, I think your portfolio is going to perform as you want um, right. throughout the year.
0: All right, David, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Really appreciate getting. Uh, your thoughts and perspective, David Hardin, founder, president of Summit Global uh, Investments. One of the interesting economic fallouts from this pandemic has been a large number of people have simply left the workforce, maybe four to five million of them here in the U.S. And of course, we see the help wanted signs in just about every restaurant and retail establishment. But It's also impacting larger companies like Micron Technology. That's a $100 billion market cap chip company. April Arnson joins us. She's a chief people officer at Micron Technology. April, talk to us about the labor market for, again, a big tech company like Micron Technologies. What are you guys dealing with?
3: Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so while the labor shortage is real, you know, we also believe it presents opportunities. It can create retention challenges for sure, but we've also found that it has created hiring opportunities, and it it really hasn't stalled our efforts. It hasn't stalled our innovation efforts. It hasn't stalled our diversity efforts. In fact, we believe that our focus on things like DEI, uh, um, things like our company success and our innovation. It's given us a competitive advantage in the talent marketplace. People are rethinking where they want to work. They want fulfilling work. They want flexibility. And they want companies who share their values. So now is the time for companies to really double down on those efforts and um, make sure that they are thinking about what they offer to employees both in terms of the work and the environment that they uh, create so that people can Mm -hmm. find uh, purpose in the work and they feel valued and they feel like they're contributing to success.
2: You know, I'm curious about the most compelling ways, the most compelling examples of how the workplace is really changing.
3: Yeah, I, you know, at, at Micron, I think there's a few things that, you know, we are looking at to, to make sure that we provide a, a modern work experience. I think, number one, I, I just mentioned, people want a place where they feel fulfilled, um, that they are doing work that impacts um, impacts greater society and impacts their community. They want flexibility. They want to work um, the way they want to work and the way that they best work, uh, whether that's working from home or whether that's, you know, leveraging technology to be engaged in different ways. They also want, you know, they want to be socially connected. So when they come to work, you know, we're finding that people still want to connect. And when they come to work, they want a unique experience. They want to still be able to connect with their colleagues um, and and work in an environment where you know they feel like they're they're making a difference, and and they want to feel respected and valued. And this is why Micron's DEI efforts are so incredibly important um, to make sure that we're providing a, a culture of inclusion where people feel like they can thrive. We believe it's the right thing to do, and talent is demanding it.
0: April, how do how are you guys at Micron thinking about this? you know, work from home phenomena, that's really just gained so much momentum during this pandemic and many employees saying, I'm just not coming back. What's your policy right now? And how do you think it might evolve?
3: Yeah, so for Micron, um, we're a manufacturer, so we design, develop, and manufacture memory and storage products. So, as you can imagine, we have a pretty diverse workforce. We do have a population that has to be working at a a physical Micron location to manufacture our products. Uh, We have a population of technical folks, research and development team members, who have to occasionally access the site. They have to be in labs. They have to be testing the product. They can do some of their work remotely, but by and large, they they need to be on site. And then we have a third population at Micron where a lot of their work can be done flexibly. So we've devised a strategy that really addresses all three populations and allows the most flexibility for those different populations. You do have to base it on the role, on the work. Um, and that's exactly what we've done. And, and I, as I've mentioned, you know, certainly there is a population, although I would say it's a smaller population, that wants to work fully remote um, and, and not come to a site. What we're finding um, is that people do want to be connected. They just want flexibility in how they do it and when they do it and where they do it. Um, But we are finding people still crave those social connections and coming to work uh, for part of the time in some sort of hybrid arrangement for the roles that allow for that is seeming to be the recipe for
2: success. I'm wondering if the skills are changing that are needed for this workforce of the future. When you look at the candidates in front of you for jobs, which are bound to be the most successful?
3: Yeah, I would, uh, to answer your question directly, the skills are absolutely changing. Uh, As, you know, as we look at candidates, the ones that will be successful are the ones, of course, you know, technical capability is important, but what's even more important is the ability to learn, because we're not even able to predict uh, what skills someone might need in three and five years down the road. We know that the skills required are changing so rapidly. We need to have the ability to learn. Our our team members, our workforce has to be able to pivot and be agile and adapt so we can capitalize on market opportunities as they emerge. So the ability to learn, the ability to collaborate and connect with people is so critically important. And this is, again, where diversity, equality, inclusion, um, making sure that your team members are working together collaboratively, respecting each other, leveraging each other's strengths to really innovate in in an incredible way is really, really important, and and why it's the foundation for Micron. So I would say learning, um, continuous learning, critically important, ability to communicate, collaborate, uh, very, very important. And then, of course, at Micron, we need a strong pipeline of STEM talent, and we need students, in the pipeline ready to take on these tough challenges. So we've invested quite a bit in that STEM pipeline at Micron. Um, We're committed to growing the pipeline of underrepresented talent and making STEM education investments around the world. In fact, in FY21, Micron Foundation distributed more than $7 million in grants targeting equitable access to STEM education and basic human needs. So those types of investments to prepare the workforce of the future are incredibly important.
0: April, thank you so much for joining us. Really fascinating stuff there is uh, corporate American global economies uh, deal with some uh, labor shortages and certainly some skilled labor shortages across the board as well for some of those tech companies. April Ardzan, Chief People Officer of Micron Technology. It's a symbol trades on the NASDAQ MU. Uh, it's got about $100 billion uh, market cap.
2: I'm wondering, you know, you got to wonder, Paul, how much the retail bidder is going to be the marginal buyer in this market.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um, it it seems like, you know, we've seen in this pandemic and with the meme stocks in particular, retailers with a lot of these uh, zero-fee apps – really jumping into the market. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Spend money on clothes or spend money on the stock market. We're going to talk now to David Lukes. He's the site center's president and CEO. He's going to talk about holiday spending, retail supply chain bottlenecks. David, thank you for joining us. Once we get past this holiday shopping season, is the buyer going to be there for these retailers?
4: It sure looks like it. I mean, they've showed up quite a bit in the past couple of months, but I guess, Janelle, as you're saying, it, it, it's always nice to look at uh, foot traffic in the holiday season, but that that doesn't really tell you what happens in the next 10 years. I think what we're really seeing is that the, the way people are shopping is a lot different than it used to be, uh, and a lot of retailers are making bets on what that future looks like.
0: All right, so, David, that's kind of where I wanted to go is we've talked to you know retailers over the years there's been this obviously this argument that the United States is over stored, uh, need to take out a lot of uh, stores out of the inventory, and and you at Site Centers, you're a
4: REIT that focuses on these properties. What's your view? Well, if you look at the data, and what's what's so nice about the sector is now we've got very good mobile phone data that goes back you know five or six years, and what you're seeing coming out of the pandemic is that customer visits are up. In other words, people are going to shopping centers more times per week. But what's really interesting is they're spending less time there. And so if you kind of stay back and say, well, how how is that possible, or why is that happening? And I think the reasons are pretty clear. There's more people in the suburbs, they have more money, and because of this ongoing hybrid work, they're just around shopping centers more frequently, so they're using convenience trips to drive a lot of sales. And the retailers are banking on this. I mean, the amount of leasing right now is so much higher than it's been in 20 years. The Retailers are banking on the fact that these suburbs are going to have people that are more proximate to properties long term. And that's going to generate sales.
2: Incredible. I grew up in Paramus, New Jersey, which is, you know, the (laughs) mall center of America. (laughs) And, you, you know, I wonder here, how is this changing? How are the suburbs really changing across the country? Which areas are seeing the most traffic?
4: Well, I think, remember, in retail, from a landlord's perspective, there's two food groups. There's fashion malls, and then there's convenience properties. And the fashion malls are more destination trips, right? You go there, and you're looking for luxury goods, and you buy, it might be a social event. It's not a social event to go to a Walgreens or a grocery store. Um, but that's what's generating a lot of the sales are these, these big box chains, these national chains, where you know 75% of the property is parking. So the convenience aspect has become really, really important. And I think in the suburbs, you're seeing so much demand for housing, um, it's very difficult to entitle and get land permits to build new shopping centers. And so there's very little construction for the last 10 years. And all of a sudden, the retailers are saying, wait a minute, the customers are, are in the suburbs three, four, five days a week. They're making trips throughout every weekday, which we can see. I mean, the new business lunch is at Five Guys in the Suburbs. It's not at uh, you know, a steakhouse <laughs> right. in the city. So um, so, so you're seeing a lot of this um, demand that just didn't exist a couple of years ago. Same thing with dentists and doctors, right? They're leaving the cities. They're moving to the suburbs, and that's, that's sponsoring a lot of leasing demand. Hey, David, real
0: quick, 30 seconds, just a question from one of our listeners. M&A activity in a strip center space picked up this year. You expect it to continue next year?
4: Yeah, it did. There you know, there there were two companies that merged, so we lost two REITs in our sector, and then there were two companies that IPO'd, um, so there were two new entrants. The reality is the private market values on assets are higher than the public market pricing, and whenever that uh-huh. happens, you know, you do have to wonder if uh, if either further M&A or take private start to occur. So, if I had to bet, I would say there's probably fewer publicly traded REITs in the next couple of years than there are now. Gotcha. Uh, just because there's so much private capital looking for real estate. All
0: right, David, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time. David Lukes, Chief Investment Officer and President of SITE Centers, uh, NYSE-listed stock. SITC is the ticker there. Let's talk retail sales. we only got a few more days, shopping days until Christmas. But I want to talk about how you actually pay for this stuff you buy. It used to be cash then credit debit cards, and now I just use my phone. It's really changing. Um, Let's talk to Vidya Peters, COO of Margetta. Uh, Vidya, thanks so much for joining us here. Just tell us what your company does, how you fit into that supply chain of global retail.
5: Thanks for having me. Margetta is the first modern card issuing platform. We enable any disruptive company to build a payments card of their choice. And so the specific example that you shared is in the Buy Now Pay Leader space. Uh, many of the leaders in the Buy Now Pay Leader space use Marketa to instantly issue a virtual card for their customers while they're in the shopping checkout experience to pay for their purchase over time. But you can think about this card experience being used in on-demand delivery by crypto providers so that they can monetize their crypto holdings. Uh, it's used in digital banking. It's used in industries uh, across the world. But very excited to talk to you a little bit more about how it's impacting shopping uh, this season for our consumers.
2: I'm glad you went there. I am so interested in this buy now, pay later theme. You know, you do have some companies that let you buy now, pay later with your credit card. And I'm wondering if there are any concerns here about customers really adding up their debt loads here into the holiday season.
5: You know... I think consumers should always be very mindful about managing their cash flow, uh, about managing all of the the financial obligations that they are taking on across channels. That said, I think that Buy Now, Pay Later is experiencing the same frenzy that we saw in the credit card market a few decades ago when people asked the question of, gosh, is this fiscally responsible for consumers to be buying on credit? And what we're seeing decades later is that absolutely, it gives consumers the flexibility, and the optionality to pay on their own time uh, using all of the options at their disposal. And what Buy Now, Pay Later does is give consumers the option to pay in installments over time while the merchant pays for that benefit to the Buy Now, Pay Later providers because they now are able to attract a broader swap of customers and to make that checkout experience as seamless as possible. It's It's just another payment option. It acts very differently from debit and credit. And consumers are demanding it more now than ever.
0: So how have payment trends, how are they trending these days, Vidya? Are people using primarily credit cards, cash, buy now, pay later, crypto? How are the the trends right now?
5: This is a very rapidly changing space. And I think the COVID pandemic has been probably the biggest accelerant in payments transformation so what we are seeing is that the use of cash has dropped off dramatically as you'd expect it's a question of safety and hygiene but also just convenience that people just don't want to deal with grubby cash we are seeing digital payments skyrocket and we are particularly seeing the use of buy now pay later uh, grow by triple digits now a lot of experts thought this was a one-time phenomenon it was a novelty of payments that would quickly fade And while we saw Buy Now, Pay Later grow by 258% on Black Friday last year, it continued to grow at triple digits this year, too. So this year on Black Friday, we saw Buy Now, Pay Later volume grow by 105%. And so it continues to be a huge way. Uh, with how consumers are demanding to pay.
2: I'm wondering what other changes you are seeing in terms of where people are shopping, how they're paying for it. You work with so many companies in the space that you probably have the cutting edge here.
5: So there are a few things that we're seeing. Um, One is that while Black Friday continues to be a top shopping day, another trend that we are seeing is that Cyber Monday is starting to drop off in its significance. So usually what we saw was that Cyber Monday had a pop of about 72% when compared to Black Friday about two years ago. That has dropped down by about 20 points to roughly 55% this year, Uh, telling us that consumers are now spreading out their purchases, not limiting it just to Cyber Monday. And also companies are probably giving their promotions all through the holiday season rather than saving it just for Cyber Monday. Uh, The other trend that we're seeing is that people are demanding – for shopping to be very seamless and a digital experience. And so one of the customers that we have, Klarna, has built a, a wonderful shopping app, which allows you to shop hundreds of merchants through their app. So you get customized rewards all the while, while you know, buy now and paying later. Another so, uh, phenomenon that we're... Yeah, sorry, go
0: no, 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 go ahead. Continue, please.
5: Another phenomenon that we are seeing is that Um, The use of crypto, obviously, has been skyrocketing. And people aren't just investing in crypto for the sake of the novelty, but they actually want to use it in their day-to-day lives. And so when you look at companies like Coinbase, they are building cards on Marketo's platform so that their customers can, with a swipe of their card, monetize their crypto holdings and pay for a coffee at Starbucks. So crypto is very much entering mainstream life and not just being a novelty investment product
0: interesting uh, i guess that day had to come and here it is vidya peters chief operating officer for marquetta again it's a nasdaq listed company uh credit card issuing company under the symbol mq they came public this year 27 dollars a share now trade just about uh, 18 dollars a share so uh, take a look for that uh digital payments retail it's all changing